The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Matthew 16, I'll just start with two verses, verses 24 and 25, and then we will reference other verses in this chapter, so please keep your Bible open. Matthew 16, 24, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Has anyone ever said to you, get a life, man, get a life? That's usually a sarcastic or critical, perhaps, way of telling somebody who is focused or preoccupied on things that are sometimes trivial, maybe something that's even boring, something that's definitely unimportant. It's a challenge for you to find more interesting and meaningful, significant things to do with your time. Sometimes that phrase is thrown at a person who is overly obsessed with some particular activity or aspect of life, and often to the detriment of other more important things in their life. For example, if you spend countless hours playing video games and you fail your tests and your classes, you need to get a life. There are more important things, right? This could be an obsession over a possession to the point that it is all you care about. It can be an obsession over a relationship to the point that it hinders or harms other relationships in your life. It can be a harmful thing even like drug addiction or alcohol addiction or some other addiction. Years ago, we took our teenagers to summer camp. One of our young men, his name was Dave, He's sitting off to the side while all the activities and the fun's going on and the competitions are taking place. And this particular camp even had a water slide. He's sitting off to the side with his head in his hands like this. And I said, Dave, what's wrong? And he said, I miss my car. (laughs) I said, you need to get a life, Dave. You need to get a life. There's so much fun around you and you're sitting over here by yourself. This may be the worst example I have ever seen in my life. Just a few days ago, we were passing through Maryland, and we stopped at a little town, Hever to Grace, Maryland. And there's a little shop on the, on, on the downtown street there. We walked inside, and there's a plaque on the wall, and it actually said these words, I work hard so my cat can have nice things. You need to get a life, man. Get a life says what you're living for, what means so much to you, What you're consumed with is not what life is really about. Uh, It's not really living. You need to get a life. According to our text verse, verse 25, it is possible to lose your life. It's possible to lose your life. We're not talking about dying. We're talking about living a wasted life without meaning, without purpose. There are plenty of examples of people who came to the end of their life and realized, I missed it. I gave myself to lesser, uh, lesser important things. I, I gave myself to things that really don't matter. One man said, the greatest fear I have in life is living for what doesn't matter to God. 
Solomon looked at all his wealth. At the end, he said, that's all vanity. It, it was a waste of time. It was a waste. Nobody ever said on their deathbed, I wish I had spent more time at the office. I wish I had invested more in my, in my business. But there are plenty of other regrets of those who lost their life by giving themselves to lesser things. And the encouraging part of verse 25 is that it is possible to find your life. You can lose it or you can find it. How do we find a life that has real meaning? How can we be sure that what we live for is really meaningful and that we don't waste our lives on frivolous, earthly, temporal things? I believe Jesus gives us the answer in these verses, and I'd like to start reading for you. Let me set the context first. Beginning in verse 13, we won't read all this, but at beginning in verse 13, Jesus established His identity, and, and verses 13 through 19 are one of the most important texts in the Bible. I heard a preacher say recently who has been a pastor for about four decades, he said, if I only had 10 Bible texts to preach to my people, Matthew 16, 13 through 18 would be one of my 10 texts. Because it answers two very important questions. Who is he and who are we? Well, he's God and he's the founder of the church and we are the people of God and we are the church. And the disciples needed that passage of scripture. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. The, the disciples needed that, that uh, instruction from the Lord to help establish their identity and their authority. And then verse 21, if you look at that verse with me, please, it says, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem <coughs> and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So after Jesus established who he was in their minds and in their hearts, he began at that point to unfold to them the plan that he had for the world, the plan he had for the ongoing work of his mission, and how the disciples are going to fit into that plan from that time forth. So here you have to imagine the, the startling news this was, the shocking news this was. The disciples are probably all thinking this is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, and you're the one that's going to restore Israel to its rightful place in this world. You're going to deliver us from Roman occupation, and, and, and we will be a sovereign nation once again, and you will rule and reign on your throne. And Jesus said, no, that, that's not quite how it's going to go. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to be buried. I will be raised again, though. And so Jesus begins unfolding to them his plan, and I'm not sure, I, I'm sure actually that all the apostles kind of felt how I just described, but Peter spoke up and spoke back to the Lord. Before I read the verse, I want you to see that in this text we have two major things put before us. We have a choice, and then we find the result of our choice. And the choice is God's plan or our plan. The choice is God's plan or our plan. Look with me, please, at verse 22. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. The word rebuke is a very strong word here. It really means to reprehend someone for a fault. You know what Peter's saying to Jesus? No, no, you, you got it wrong. 
you've you got a serious problem here. You don't know how this is supposed to go. It means to correct or to chase. And so Jesus, or Peter is trying to correct the Lord's plan. What he's really saying to Jesus is, no, oh, no, no, not your plan. Not, not, no, that's not how it's going to go. We're not going to let that happen to you. We, we have a plan that doesn't include suffering and death. We have better ideas. Don't worry, Lord, we're not going to let that, that happen. You, the cross for you, crucifixion for you, oh, no, no. You're going to rule on the throne. You're going you're to restore the kingdom. Uh, we're not going to let that happen. Not your plan. You know, like Peter, we often want Jesus to follow our plan instead of submitting to his plan. Sometimes we have our ideas about how God should fit into our lives and what direction things should go. And we, when God begins to reveal to us a different agenda, we say, no, 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 you got that wrong. Wait, wait. it's not going to be that way. This isn't how I planned for it to work out. And the truth is, even when we sincerely desire to serve the Lord, we may be guilty of having our own ideas about what that means in our lives and how that's going to play out in our lives. I'll surrender my life to you, Lord. I'll lay down my cross and follow you. Now let me give you my list of how I think that's going to go. We have a pretty good idea of how it's going to work out. And as Peter began to rebuke the Lord, sometimes we need to be rebuked and we need to recognize if we say, no, not your plan, we have a serious problem. Peter had been a believer for a while here. Perhaps as much as a year and a half, maybe two years. He's a believer. He's been following Jesus for months now. And, and, and here's a truth I want us to remember. Not even followers of Jesus can know and understand God's ways without a proper understanding of His Word and a proper submission to the leading of the Spirit of God. We may think we know how life should go, but if it's contrary to the Word of God, then we're not being led by the Spirit of God. Because God's ways are always according to His Word. And from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, the whole plan of the redemption offered to us by Jesus Christ and His sacrificial substitutionary death is made plain all through the Scripture. And had they submitted themselves to the word, Peter wouldn't be saying, no, not your plan. He would have said, I understand this is how it has to go. Isaiah 55, 8 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God doesn't see like we see. He sees from a higher perspective. He actually sees from the viewpoint of omniscience all-knowing. It's hard for us to not bind God to the human way of thinking. Well, here's how I see it, so I'm pretty sure that's right. Don't you see it that way too, Lord? But God sees from a different vantage point. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That sounds to me like a lost life. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Proverbs, I'm sorry, Psalm 92, verse 5. O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. A brutish man, that means senseless and without spiritual perception. A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. And Jesus began revealing this plan with the idea that his disciples including Peter, would submit their will 
and their fellowship of Christ to his plan as he told them what was going to happen soon. Now this is a powerful passage of scripture and I don't think I'm overstating it to say this. Look at verse 23, please. Verse 22, Peter's rebuking the Lord and Jesus turns to Peter, verse 23, but he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. When Peter objected to God's plan, Jesus spoke to Satan. This was Satan. Listen to this. This was Satan trying to thwart the Calvary plan. He's been trying to thwart that plan from the very beginning. You see, the devil has a plan too. And And if I could just sum up the devil's plan in two words, it is stop God. Whatever God's doing, I'm against it. Whatever his plan is, I have a different one. So Jesus is speaking here to Satan, and then he says to Peter, he says, Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Your perspective is earthbound. Your perspective is selfish. You're looking at this the way you see it, and you're not even considering how I see it, or what the Word of God teaches, or what the spiritual plan of God is. And this is a very, very serious problem, Peter, and it's getting worse because, listen to this, resistance to and rejection of my will, the Lord is saying here, is a satanically influenced idea. When a believer resists and rejects the plan of God, it's not because in your brilliant human ingenuity you've come up with something better. It's, just, it's our sin nature coming out. And it is Satan working his plan through our influence. It's Satan himself working behind the scenes to create that in us. And and we can, if we're not careful, become the mouthpiece of Satan to undermine God's will and God's plan. Satan put in Peter's mouth the same idea he tried to pass off to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 during the wilderness temptation. When he took Jesus to a pinnacle of the temple and he said, look out at all the kingdoms of this world. You can have them now if you'll just bow down to me. Now, Jesus was going to rule and reign over all the kingdoms of this world, and he is going to someday, isn't he? But the devil tried to thwart God's plan in Matthew 4. If you'll bow down to me, you can have them now. You don't have to go through the cross. You don't have to go through that suffering. I think I have a better idea about how this can go, and Peter is saying the same thing to the Lord. No, no, not not your plan. But God wants us to surrender to him the authority we have demanded over our own lives. God wants surrender to the plan that he has for us, no matter how it will turn out. Long ago, Jesus said, we read it in verse 24, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The plea from Jesus for you to follow him does not include a detailed list of how everything's going to work out. Someone once said, the will of God is not a roadmap. It's a relationship. Jesus doesn't lay out a contract for you to sign like, uh, like an athlete would sign a contract, a quarterback in the NFL would, and his agents would read through that contract with a fine-tooth comb and make sure everything's in there we think we deserve before we sign on the dotted line. Okay, now I'll agree to that. The Lord doesn't offer us a contract to sign. He offers us a blank sheet of paper and says, will you agree to follow me? And if you will, I'll unfold the plan as we go. He asks for our surrender up front before we know how it'll turn out. He asks for us to yield to his plan and not demand our plan before we know how it's going to go. 
Romans 8.28 is not an assurance that all of life will be good. But Romans 8.28 is an assurance that our Father can be trusted and we can surrender joyfully to whatever plan He has for our life. It might be wealth. It might be poverty. It might be health. It might be sickness. It might be living here in America. It might be living on a foreign mission field. But when He asks us to move to the passenger seat and let Him do the driving and He turns down a road we don't want to go, do we say to Him at that point, no, 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 I don't want to go that way. Or do we say, yes, Lord, I'll follow your will. A pastor preached a sermon that was a pretty stirring sermon about giving your life to God. And one of his deacons came forward that night and knelt at the altar and gave his life to the Lord. And he said in his prayer that night at the altar, Lord, I give you everything. On his way home from, work, on his way home from church that night, he later called the pastor and related the story here. He said, it was raining so hard I had to pull off under an interstate overpass to let the rain subside so I could continue driving home. And he said, I was sitting there thinking about the decision I had made. And it was just like God was speaking directly to me. He said, God said to me, John, you gave me everything tonight, didn't you? John said, yes, Lord, I did. He said, well, John, I want to work in your life in such a way that, that is going to Show my grace and and my power through you that other people will glorify me and my grace will be seen in your life. He said, "I'm, I'm going to take your wife. She's going to go through a serious health crisis and and she's going to lose her life. John said, no, no, Lord, not my wife. We've been married for 40 years. I love her with all my heart. If you take my wife, it would be the end of my sanity. Please don't take my wife. The Lord said, okay, well, John, I'm going to take your grandson then. And through that experience, the grace that I'll give you will be a great example for others to see. And he said, no, don't take my grandson. We love him. He's the joy and delight of our whole family. Don't take my grandson. He said, well, well, John, then I'll take your business. And John said, no, Lord, don't take my business. I've worked for decades to build that. And if you take my business, how will I support my family? Uh, I've put so much into that. Lord, don't take my business. The Lord said, okay, well, then I guess I'll take your health. You won't be able to work, and you'll have to have others care for you. He said, how will my family survive if I can't work and provide for them? Don't take my health. And the last thing the Lord said was, well, then would you please tell me again, what exactly did you mean by everything? Now, that story doesn't mean you give your life to the Lord and you accept his plan. You're going to start losing things. But it does mean that you've let go. And God can have his way with no further objections from us. The choice, God's plan or our plan. The result You can make the choice, but you don't get to choose the result. You've heard that before, right? You can choose God's plan. You can choose your own plan. But there is a a result for each of those, and it's found in verse 25. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. So here's the first result. Save it and lose it. This This is perhaps, this verse is perhaps the most extreme paradox in the Bible. Save it and lose it. The word save means to preserve, protect. And lose means to destroy, to fully perish, bring to naught, to make void. When a person sets their mind to preserving and protecting their own life 
and demanding that it go according to our agenda instead of God's, when that becomes the driving force of our life, the result is we lose our life. It's not talking about dying, but it's talking about losing while you live. Oh, you, you may still have an existence. You may make a lot of money. You may be very successful by the world's standards, but you're missing the purpose and the plan for which God created you and saved you. You're perishing while you live. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And we often take that to mean, well, where people don't know about God, they're going to die and go to hell. And, and although that's a true statement, if they never hear the gospel, but the word perish in Proverbs 29, 18 means the same thing. It means you're going to miss out on the plan God has for your life. You're going to exist, but you're not going to live. The authority we demand over our own life is not authority at all. It is destructive surrender to satanic influence. The devil's not a kind taskmaster. He will use and abuse and throw you to the hog pen like the prodigal son, and fi you'll find yourself longing to be back where you once were, the way it once was. Listen to this statement. The control we demand over our lives always leads to an out-of-control situation. You'll lose everything you're grabbing for. The first result is save it and lose it. And good news, the second result is lose it and find it. Lose is the same as the above. It means you relinquish control. You give up. You give it over. And find means to discover. So you can hold on to it and lose it. It'll slip through your fingers. Or you can let go of it and you'll find it. And God will give you a most wonderful, abundant life. So here's Here's how you get a life. You let go of it. You lose the ownership of it. You cede the sovereignty of your own life to the sovereign Lord. You get out of the driver's seat. You stop trying to protect it and preserve it. You stop demanding authority over it. You stop dictating to God what course it should take. You stop telling God what you want and, <clears throat> and that your plan is better than his plan and you stop allowing Satan to influence your mind against God. And here's what it means to lose your life and find it, is that you would never, 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 ever, ever say, no, God, not your plan. Never tell God, no, never. There's a great motivating factor in this verse right here. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, Whosoever will lose his life, say the next three words in the verse with me. Do you see it? For my sake shall find it. See, this is not just a careless throwing your life to the wind. This is not careless at all. It is a very careful, planned, purposeful submission to the sovereign Lord who wants the best for us and has the best for us. It means we don't make the driving purpose of our life to have a good one. We make the driving purpose of our life to have a godly life that glorifies the Lord. We're not, we're not doing this to impress people. We're not doing this for position or status. We're doing this for His sake. The world demands that we 
seek after pleasure and personal satisfaction. The world right now is demanding that we find our own truth and we find our own identity. But we have to know, as the people of God, we are not here for our sake. We're here for His sake, for His glory. And when you lose your personal agenda, you will begin to discover the abundant life. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come, Jesus said, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And not all of our problems go away when we say, yes, Lord, your plan for my life. But he's trying to make himself known through us. He's trying to be glorified through us. And it, it took Peter a long time, even after this text we're looking at this morning, it took Peter a long time to figure this out. But Peter needed a spiritual perception of God's bigger planned plan. You know, you know what the truth of this is right here? God's plan was not going to end at the cross. The cross would be the means by which Peter could enjoy real life. And Peter doesn't understand this. He thinks if I stop Jesus from going to the cross, everything's going to be great when Jesus is sitting on that throne right here in Israel. He didn't understand the necessity of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for the salvation of his own soul. Peter needed a spiritual perception that the cross wouldn't be the end, but it would mean the price of redemption paid so that every kindred, tribe, and tongue could be reconciled to God someday. And this is what we need. We need spiritual perception of God's bigger plan to be glorified through our lives. We need a spiritual understanding of the goodness and the blessing and the wisdom of God through our triumphs and our trials. We need a spiritual perception of a life that is rich in peace and joy and contentment and grace and joy. People are searching everywhere. People are searching for meaning in life. It's found in Jesus. It's found in His plan. We can have this joy and peace and contentment because we know and we trust a sovereign God. Why should I lose my life? Because if you don't give Him yours, you won't have one. You hold on to it, you're going to lose it. So give Him your life so you can have a life, so you can get a life. The longer we hold on, the more entrenched we get against the ways and the plan of God, the more stubborn we become and the bigger mess we make of our lives. The sooner we let go and give it to God and let Him direct it and let Him plan it and let Him set the course, the sooner we're going to enjoy this abundant living that He so desperately wants to give us. Now, this is not saying, surrender to me, and let me offer you something better than you can have for yourself. You have a life, but i got a better one for you. No, that's not what it is. This is let go of what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. Jim Elliott said that, didn't he? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So do you want a life worth living? Do you want a life that is significant and meaningful? and impacts this world for the glory of God, then lose your own life in the purpose of Christ. Lose yourself in the pursuit of His glory and His honor. And that, young people, is how you get a life. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. 
You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.